Today's scripture comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, Definitely want to remember any people who uh, serve or maybe have family members who do or friends, and we definitely want to keep them in our prayers uh, for the Lord's protection on them as they serve to um, serve their country and uh, protect us. So let's remember them this weekend. Um, Before we get into it, um, today's message is... is, uh, it's about the purpose of marriage. Um, one of the main purposes is uh, it's sanctification, and if you don't know what that means, we'll get into that. Um, but because it's so important, uh, I do need to share for those who are in GLF, and if you're not, we'd love for you to connect. But um, we had planned to do this last week, and uh, thus in the year GLF, you would have been able to discuss it and, and talk about it because it is such a central uh, issue in marriage. But uh, uh, due to the bishop training and Pastor Susan having to be in bishop this week, we had to switch. So um, what all that to mean is we're going to discuss this sermon um, in two weeks because it really is important, and we, we don't want to skip it. So um, this will be the sermon that we talk about, um, not this coming week as we take it off, but the week after, okay? Um, But I know the Friday group, you guys will talk about this um, this week. Okay, Uh, if you have any questions, facilitators, you can come see me. Um, So as I mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, the purpose of marriage. What, What is marriage about? And in order to do this, uh, I kind of divided it into um, questions, questions that we might, you know, have if we were talking about marriage. So the first question, and you can write this out, would be, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? And it has to do with Christ-likeness. And then the second question would be like a follow-up question. Um, What if I'm scared to let my spouse see my flaws um, as we get into the purpose of marriage? What what do I do with these flaws? How can I deal with my fears um, of letting my spouse see my flaws? The third question, 
What should I do when God works on my flaws? What should I do when God works on my flaws? And um, I was going to address a fourth question. What can all of this look like, like in an actual life, um, like a case study? But I don't know that we're going to get uh, to that today. Um, we'll probably cover that uh, in one of the panels uh, this is, a, like I said, very important uh, topic, and so next time we go through it, we may have to separate this into two weeks. Okay, so <clears throat> first question, what is the purpose of marriage? Uh, well, we can start this conversation with uh, another question. Does anyone get married to be miserable? Right? Does anyone get married to be miserable? And uh, you know, some of us who are maybe have been married for a while, um, maybe you're like, uh, kinda. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. Uh, sometimes when we get married, there are miserable days, there are miserable weeks, maybe uh, sometimes even miserable years. You know, all kidding aside, it's it, it gets that way, and uh, so people marry. Not because they want to be miserable. Why do people marry? They marry because they want to be happy. And yet a good number of marriages end in divorce. Uh, conservative figures put that at around 30%. Um, higher figures put that at around 50 So it's probably somewhere in between. So why is this? Well, there are a lot of reasons that we can't go into today. But, uh, because of time, but today we are going to learn about one of the major reasons for why people get into marriages um, to be happy, only to discover a year in, seven years in, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in, whatever it is, uh, that, oh, maybe I'm, I'm not so happy as I wanted to be. And then one thing leads to another, and a marriage and the families, and everything that was built upon that marriage is destroyed. Why does this happen? One of the major reasons this happens is, in short, it's because we go into marriage with the wrong goals. We go into marriage with the wrong goals in mind. We put on marriage a purpose for which it wasn't designed in the first place. It's like taking a wagon with a capacity of 100 pounds and then taking a full-on car or RV and putting it on top of the wagon. The wagon will be crushed under the weight of what we're doing to it. In the same way, marriage, oftentimes, because we go into it expecting it to do something for which it wasn't designed to do, the wheels fall off and it gets crushed. So what is this wrong goal? Um, Like I was saying, the wrong goal, the ultimate goal of marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. Again, since we're going to be talking about this in two weeks, you may want to write some of this down because you you will probably forget by then. And that's, that's... Okay, it's expected. So write this down. The ultimate goal of marriage is not happiness. 
but it's holiness. And we're going to explore that a little more. Now, what is holiness? Well, holiness is, let me try to put it very simply, holiness is the image of God in us that makes us gods. Holiness is belonging to God. So anything that belongs to God must be holy. And if it's not holy, then it must be cleaned. And that's where we get the word sanctified. Sanctified means to make sacred, to make holy. You and I have been created with the image of God imprinted on our hearts, our souls, our minds. We are created in the image of God. The goal of marriage is to restore that image. Restore the image of Christ in us. So the goal of marriage is to help us become more Christ-like. That's holiness. The goal of marriage is to help us become more Christ-like. It's not to help us become more happy. And uh, this word that we find in the Bible, very important word, so we shouldn't dismiss it just because it sounds like big, sanctification. It's that process of, may, of restoring that image of Christ. It also, sanctification also refers to the process of pushing back everything that is not Christ-like in your heart. So the bitterness, the rage, the, the lust, the greed, the gluttony, um, whatever. All of that stuff is Christ-unlikeness, right? If there's Christ-likeness, then there's also Christ-unlikeness. And the process of sanctification is also pushing back, fighting, struggling against those things that are Christ-unlike. And so together, pushing back those things that are Christ-unlikeness and then embracing and growing into our Christ-likeness. That's the purpose of marriage. Now, as we said, everybody, you know, if you, if you were to go out on the street and you were to ask this question, hey, what, what do you want out of life? I'm guessing nine out of ten people would probably answer it this way. Well, I just want to have a good, happy life, right? And every culture has this idea of this good, happy life. And every culture has kind of a label that they put on it. Here in America, we call it the American dream. You have the house, and they have the beautiful uh, spouse, and the beautiful children, and a dog, and white picket fence. That's the happy life. In Korean, um, again, all cultures have it. In Korean, we call it the 행복한 생활, right? The, the contented, peaceful, happy life. And in other cultures, um, you know, they call it something else. Everybody wants to have a happy life. Who doesn't want that? I want that. It's not wrong to, have, to want to have a happy life. In fact, that's a gift from God. So it's okay to want to be happy. And again, this is not a sermon talking only about that, so we're not going to get into all the nitpicky tech, you know, technical uh, details of, okay, well, how much is enough and how much is not in general, God created these things to bless you, family, uh, spouse, love, even having animals as pets, food. But we're not to idolize them. We're not to put them above God. 
And sometimes that's what we do. And we do this with marriage. We go into marriage thinking that it's going to make us happy. But in reality, again, we're asking marriage to do something that it can't do. If, however, we do marriage in God's way, we will find an imperishable joy. And on top of that, we will be given an infinite happiness that is far different from the finite happiness that we chase. And this infinite happiness is far greater than the happiness that a lot of the people are looking for, including us. So you have happy for a couple of years. You know, let's say you, you do everything right and, you know, you marry at the age you wanted to marry, had the kids you wanted to have at the age you wanted to have them, live in the neighborhood you wanted to live in, had, drive the car you want to drive, all that stuff. The job that you want to have, you envision this is going to be my job and I'm going to sit at this big table and I'm going to have a corner office. You have all of that. Even if you achieve all of that, how long are you going to enjoy that? 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, right? And on the other hand, God offers us a happiness that can't ever be taken away, happiness for infinity. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which is the wiser choice. So that's where the title for today's sermon comes in. I want the whole marriage enchilada when it comes to how to do married life, many of us are, we find ourselves simply nibbling on, on the little crumbs, on the little crumbs. We find ourselves settling for the little drops that fall off of the, the uh, enchilada, you know, the mojado sauce, right? We find ourselves eating the, maybe the little parsley or, or the cilantro. We, we, we settle for something that's finite and temporal and going to just disappear. And in the process of chasing those things, we miss the eternal joy of God, the whole enchilada. Today, as we go through this, as we talk about this question and the next couple of questions, I hope that we're going to be able to see that God has something far greater in store for your life, and that includes your marriages or your future marriages. And he doesn't want us to settle for just feeding on those little crumbs. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever stage of life you're in, as we talk about how marriage is the process that God invented to make us more Christ-like, you're going to learn something about yourself Okay? Again, even if you're single, you're going to learn something about uh, your spouse. You're going to learn something about God. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that, uh, it just, it's so funny as, you know, a person, and, and we, we look at human nature, um, despite all the things that God wants to provide for us, despite all the, the, the huge, you know, giant, uh, all-encompassing enchilada of his joy and his life, despite that reality, Satan has succeeded in convincing you and I 
to remain in our illusions. He's, Satan has somehow convinced you and me to just settle for the crumbs. How do we know this? Well, we look back at the story of Adam and Eve. Now, be honest here. When you read that story, if you have, isn't there a part of you that kind of just judges Adam and Eve? Right? Don't you just kind of, haven't you read that story and been like, you guys are so stupid, dumb man, thoughtless woman, right? I don't know about you, but uh, look, when you come across a snake and it starts talking to you, the best decision is not to keep talking to the snake. I think you should just turn around and run. But yet we have Adam and Eve having this conversation, Eve having this conversation, and one thing leads to another, and our world has become what it is now. Uh, just look at who we have to vote for our president. <laughs> our world is in serious trouble. And we think, you know, as we read the story, man, if I were in the garden, this, this would not have happened. If I were in the garden with the eternal life, right, and all the best food available, if we were in the garden, there's no war. This is a world with no fear. There's no disease. There's no drought. There's no human trafficking. There's no murder. There's no adultery. There's no rape. There's no pollution. There's no unfairness in the workplace. There's no corruption that cheats us out of our money. If we had that kind of world, we would do everything within our power to preserve it, right? Wrong. <laughs> if you and I were in the Garden of Eden with all of those things, we would end up exactly where we are today. You and I, there's no difference. We're no better. Let's not pretend to think that we're better than Adam and Eve. They were human, we're human. And this is what we chose. Trump or Hillary. <laughs> That's where we are, where we are in this world. And it's funny, God tells us, hey, I'm going to create a new world where there's no more fear. There is no more pain in this new world. No more tears. No more shame. But you know what? Only 30% of the world's population receives that. We're still Adam and Eve. God is offering this to us, and only 30% of the world wants to receive this. Where do I get this? I get this from... Uh, the, uh, these sociological surveys uh, that was done in 2012, uh, taking a survey of all of the population and all the different religions. Um, number one is Christianity at 30%, which I think it's uh, depending on how they define Christianity. So if you want to go by like practices, do that, they, are they actually practicing Christian? This is probably a little lower. It's probably like 15%, 20%, okay? What does that mean? That means that 80, 75% of the world looks at God and this offer of the whole enchilada and says, no thank you. We just want the crumbs. How, what does this have to do with marriage? 
we bring the same settling, death-leading attitude to our marriages. We cannot conceive that God wants to give us a beautiful, Christ-centered, fruitful, magnificent, grand marriage. We can't even conceive of that. And all we settle for is this. As you know, this is what Adam and Eve did. As you know, there was a second Adam. And he changed the game. And now we have access to a Christ-centered marriage. The whole enchilada that God intended to give to you and to bless you with. You don't have to settle for the crumbs. You don't have to settle for the marriage that just putt-putts along and barely makes it across that 50% divorce rate. That, it doesn't have to be like that. Why? Not because of your greatness, not because of your intelligence, not because of even some great marriage family therapist or counselor or psychiatrist, because of Christ. And anyone can have Christ. That's good news, amen? I think a lot of us sometimes, sometimes we, we're so stuck on being happy. You heard of like uh, crack addicts or, you know, alcoholic addicts, you know, alcohol addicts. I think there's another category. There's happy addicts. People who will do anything and cross any borders or boundaries or lines to be happy. As long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. How about this one? You hear this all the time, especially the young people, right? Do what makes you happy. If that means hurting people, if that means stealing, if that means rebelling against the ways that God has given, the good ways that God has given you, that's okay, as long as you're happy. We're a world of happy addicts. And we go from day to day looking for what? Anything to, so that we can get our happy fix. Whether it be food, whether it be uh, porn, whether it be um, you know, having sex with our live-in girlfriend, boyfriend, whether it be uh, spending hours and hours you know, wasting time escaping from the issues of life and relationships. It comes in all shapes and forms. And we get fooled and deceived into thinking, if I just do this and grab those things and chase those things, I'll be happy. We're happy addicts. And Satan is the dealer. And he knows it. I want you to turn with me to our passage, Ephesians 5. It says... In verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify. Remember, what is that word? Sanctify means to make more Christ-like. Having cleansed her 
Makes sense, right? If you're going to be Christ-like, you're going to be cleansed. By what? The washing of water with the word, being baptized as you receive the word, the ministry of Jesus. Why? All of this is so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. On the day he, Jesus returns, he will present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You will be blameless. Remember we talked about those qualities in our life that are Christ-unlike? Those are, a simple word for, uh, would be flaws. Those are our flaws. Those are our personal character weaknesses. Those are the things that, that we're uh, vulnerable to in, our, in, in temptation. Those are the you know, personality traits that, you know, there's some personality traits that are harmless, you know, but then there are some personality traits that just aren't Christ-like. And so all those different things, brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying, I'm going to wash you of all of that, and you will be whole. All the things that you don't like about yourself, I'm going to wash you whole. I'm going to present you to me without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish. Marriage, here in Ephesians 5, it's telling, God is telling us marriage is a tool by which he's going to help that happen. He's going to wash you of all those wrinkles and those things that you don't like about yourself and those character flaws that you want, you're trying your best to hide and suppress. You felt like you had control over it. But when there's a stressful situation, it comes out. And you hate that about yourself. That. Marriage is created by God as a gift of mercy to you to wash that away. So we need to ask ourselves, no longer this crumb-nibbling, death-leading question, I'm going to get married just to be happy. How can my marriage make me happy? That's the wrong question. That's a question that's going to lead to death. That's going to be a question that's going to crush your marriage because your marriage was not intended. It doesn't have the capability to make you happy. It doesn't. Look at the statistics. Rather, we should ask, how can I be used by God to prepare my spouse for Christ? How can I be used by God to help my spouse worship God? How can I help my spouse worship God? How can I help my spouse restore and grow in their image of Christ? What can I do to help my spouse do that? And by the same token, your spouse is supposed to do that for you. That's the purpose of marriage. Marriage has a dual role. It both it gives a sneak preview of the resurrection life when Jesus returns. That's the love and the passion and the devotion that God intends in marriage. That's going to be multiplied exponentially when Jesus returns. That joy that you feel when your wife greets you at the door, that joy that you feel when uh, your husband protects you and serves you and dies for you, uh, you know, and, and, and takes care of your needs, that joy that you feel it explodes exponentially when Jesus returns. So marriage is a sneak preview. It's, you're supposed to be a sneak preview to your husband, to your wife, that relationship of the relationship that God has with us when Jesus returns. Number two, 
Marriage is a preparation for that day. It's a sneak preview of what we're going to get, and it's also a preparation for that day to continue to grow in your Christ-likeness. Related to the purpose of marriage is this. Write this down. The best way to love your spouse, the best way to love your future spouse, the best way to love them is to love God more than them. What? That sounds a little not cool. It's true. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, the first and greatest commandment is this. Anyone remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You are not to love your spouse more than your God. It also says, have no other gods before me. That means, what is the most important thing to you? If that thing that is, more important, is the most important thing to you is more important to you than God, then that is your God, and you've broken that commandment. God gives us his counsel, his wisdom, and saying, in order to have life, then you need to connect to me and let me love you because I am life. So the best thing that you can do for your spouse, heck, the best thing that you can do for your children, parents, the best thing that you can do for your children is to love God in your own life. Because guess what? They will then see that example, see that model, and they will learn, and they will pick up. The best way that you can love your kid is to love God first and foremost. Matthew chapter 22, from Jesus' own words. Some of us might think, man, Yahweh, God, that's so cruel. That means, like, I got to put my spouse second? I got to put my kids second? That that seems so wrong. (laughs) But understand this. God loves your spouse more than you do. God already loves your kids more than you do. And so, one of the big reasons why Yahweh says, love me first beyond all things, is so that you can learn from the master of love. If you're going to love others, you've got to learn how to, how to love. And where are you going to learn how to love? We learn it from our parents. We learn it from our friends. We learn it from movies. We learn it from, uh, you know, comic books. We learn it from TV series. We learn it from K-drama. We learn it from uh, pop culture and songs and breakup songs and, and makeup songs and then, you know, all the other songs in between. That's where we get our image of love, right? But God is saying, why are you going to all those other sources Come to the master of love and learn to be loved. And then learn how to love. And as you learn how to love for me, then you can better love your spouse. Then you can better love your children. Not with your love, your finite love, but with my infinite love. 
and before you think, gosh, so God is only interested in like me loving people. He only wants to love me so that I can love other people. And no, God loves you. The other reason God wants you to worship him and love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind above all other gods is because he loves you. He wants you. He just enjoys spending time with you. If you guys did the reading for the uh, devotionals, remember Mary and Martha? What does Jesus want? Does Jesus want us to go and serve? For, is that the first thing that he wants? Those are good things because Jesus himself served, right? He washed your feet. He washed the disciples' feet. But what was the more important thing? The best thing, he said, Mary, what she has chosen because she's sitting at my feet and we're just having this time together. The reason that God tells you to love him and teaches this is because he first loved you. How do you know that? I don't know that God. It doesn't feel like God loves me. We can know that God loves us. This is love that he, brothers, that he laid down his life for us. This is how we know love. This is how we know that God loves us. He laid down his life for us. So the smart thing, the wise thing that we can do for yourself, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to love Yahweh with all, with everything. The best thing that you can do for your spouse is love God above her or him. The best thing that you can do for your kids, the best thing that you can do for your friends is to love God and let him love you. And in that love relationship, then you move out into the world and let the love of God, the fragrance of God, just come off of you and bless everybody around you. That's the best thing that you can do for yourself. And what does this mean, that Jesus loves us? What does this mean, the cross? What does it mean that he, that he died for you? It means that he loves you. And you know what it means? It means that you can bring your flaws, you can bring your weaknesses, you can bring all your burdens, you can bring those things that you hate about yourself and you try to hide. And you can bring all of that and you can kneel before Jesus and you can just talk and he's not going to reject you because he's already washed you, Ephesians 5. And he will not send you away because you're disgusting. He will not send you away because he can't stand your dysfunctionality. I just can't take it anymore. Jesus never will say that. If we come to him with a broken and contrite heart, he will restore. He will love. He will wash you and heal you and put his salve on you. And in marriage, guys, Let's say your spouse does this. Let's say your spouse is at home one day and she's or he's having this time with God. Here's a, an amazing thing that can happen. You, as that person's spouse, you can go and kneel down next to him. You can go and kneel down next to your wife. And you can put your arm around him and around her and say, Jesus, would you sanctify both of us? 
What can I do, Jesus? Use me to increase Christ-likeness in my wife. Use me to increase Christ-likeness in my husband. And husband and wife, there, kneeling together before the king. That's marriage. Being vulnerable, being real, being honest. That's marriage. That's a marriage worth fighting for. That's a marriage that God wants. That's the whole enchilada. Not so that you can be happy. That's, that's child's play. That's, he, he wants to give you so much more. What if I'm scared to let my spouse see my flaws? What if, you know, I, just like you said, young, um, you know, I, I'm home one day and I'm praying and then I hear my, the garage door open and, oh, oh, I don't want to see, I don't want my husband to see. What I, and then he's going to ask me what happened and then I'm going to tell him that he was right all along, you know, and uh, I shouldn't have done that or I am this way. Oh, oh, uh, I, don't want, I don't want my spouse to see my flaws. And this is where marriage the design of marriage comes in. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, marriage is a covenant. What is a covenant? It's different from contract. Contract is two people, two parties, man and man. A covenant is person, person, and God. God is the one who is the basis of that covenant. God is the one who keeps them accountable. So it's more serious. It's more grave. It's more powerful. And so marriage being a covenant, not just involving you and your spouse, but now involving God... You cannot break that. So, you come, you see your wife crying, or wives, you see your husband bawling, you're like, well, I never knew my husband could cry. And, and you ask what's wrong, and then your husband's like, well, I have to confess, da-da-da-da-da. Wives, you have a choice. This is your opportunity to be used by God to help your husband, your future husband. You can either turn and run, go, oh, I don't want to hear this. See, I told you so, I told you so. Or, like I said, you can remember the covenant. You can remember the vow that you made to God and you can say, God chose me to stand next to my wife and to kneel together with her and to cry out to Jesus together. God chose me. Out of all the men in the world, God chose me to do that for my wife, and I'm going to do it because I made a vow to God, and God has made a vow to me. Now see, in that covenant relationship, there's no way out. So now... You have the security. And now you can be vulnerable. Now you can be naked and have no shame. Just like in Genesis, right? The covenant of marriage provides, write this down, the covenant of marriage provides a security that makes nakedness safe. The covenant of marriage provides for you and your wife a security, a safety that makes nakedness and vulnerability and honesty and, and desperation 
all of that, it makes it safe to reveal because they're not going to turn and run, because they're not going to sit there and do this. See, see, see? If you don't have that covenant, yeah, good luck. Isn't that what we see in the world? Oh, my husband was lost, you know, $500,000 on this bad investment. I'm out of here. What a loser. Covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage says, no, stay. Oh, my wife, she committed adultery. I don't know what to do. Covenant of marriage. It's not always going to be easy. What if I'm scared to let my spouse, spouse see my flaws? You remember the covenant that Christ made for you. You remember that he bled for you. You remember that he sees your flaws. He even washed your feet, your dirty feet, and all the sins, and he didn't run away. And as you sit at the feet of the master of love, you receive that love, and it changes you, and it gives you the grace deposit in your heart that you can then spend on your spouse. But only if you have Jesus at the center. Otherwise, where are you going to find the grace? Right? Where are you going to find it? Throughout my life, people have told me that I'm a good listener. Ever since I was like in junior high, and I would be the one that everybody would call, and I would just sit there, and I didn't mind it. I actually enjoyed it, listening to people and trying to help you know, where I could. But here's something really interesting. When Christy or someone else tells me about a flaw in my life, all of a sudden, I become a very bad listener. <laughs> this great professional, I'm a professional listener. I'm a pastor. I'm a professional listener, but all of a sudden, when the topic turns to my flaws or, you know, something that I can do better, I all of a sudden become a very bad listener. <laughs> now, I know that no one else is like this, right? <laughs> it's just me. But um, if we're honest... I think we can all understand, and we've all had you know, incidents like this where we hear some kind of criticism coming, and our throat tightens, and we start you know, getting nervous, and we, we feel that little like sharp, you know, right here in our stomach and our chest when we know something bad, somebody's going to tell you something about what you did, they didn't like what you did, or they thought what you did was a mistake, and... Some of us may be able to handle that a little better. If you're anything like me, you never learned how to really handle that as a young person. And so anytime anybody came at you with any kind of criticism, it just destroyed you. It like, you stuck with you for like not just that day, but for like weeks. 
and it would haunt you. And this is, this is the, the cross that I bear. This is how I, you know. And so because of that, I built up these walls. I built up this um, pride. I didn't want to hear people. I built up this stubbornness. No, no, you're wrong. And I built up this ability to argue really well. Oh, yeah? Well, how about you? You think about this about me. Well, let me tell you what you did five weeks ago, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you about you. Do you know what this person told me about you? Because of my insecurity, my pride, my stubbornness, my heart would just cringe from any kind of criticism, even if it were good criticism that if I listened to, it would actually make me better, more Christ-like. But I was so afraid of that first part that I was blind to the better part. I just wanted to hold on to my pride and my insecurities and, and not have the uncomfortable conversation. And in, in, in return, I just turned my back on that, on everything that God wants for me, the Christ-likeness that he's trying to develop in me. Maybe this was a person who was going to help me with this flaw and I say, I love you, God. I sing songs as Joseph and Alex sing. I'll do anything for you, God. Yeah, yeah. But I won't give up my uncomfortable flaws. Talk about those. Oh, no, no, I don't want to give that up to you. No, no, I don't, don't talk. Let's not talk about that. How about you? What about your flaw? Don't we do this? Don't we do this in marriage? Don't we do this with our friends, our parents? So what happened? <laughs> Some of you guys might think, well, gosh. Well, okay, that's nice. Uh, what, what's the good part? Well, compared to 17 years ago, now Christy can tell me things that, uh, that I do need to work on. And I can now receive it without having to turn it first into this huge, epic fight that lasts for a week, and mom and dad are like this in the house for a week, not even talking to each other, right? Believe me, I've had those. And you think, I can never, it can be as bad as my house. Hey, guys, guess what? I'm married to a marriage family therapist, (laughs) okay? If you want to have a fight about family and marriage, you probably don't want to pick a fight with someone who has a master's degree in it, okay? So I've had some really hard fights with her, And you know what? God probably knew that that's what it was going to take for me. That's how stubborn Young is. So I'm going to put him with Christy. Sorry, Christy. (laughs) But in those 17 years, by God's grace, I've learned and I've changed. Your question should be, how did you do that, Young? How did you change? I know how hard those fights can be. So how can we change? You know, my answer is, I was able to change in those 17 years because I know that Christy loves me. I don't have a doubt in my mind that she loves me. Therefore, when she comes to me with some kind of negative feedback or criticism, I can let my defenses down and I can receive it wisely because I know she loves me. I trust. I give her that right. In fact, you know what? She has loved me for 17 years, at times that I didn't even love myself. So guess what? She has earned the right to speak into my life. How about you? 
Do you feel loved by your spouse? Do you, feel, do you think your spouse feels loved by you? Do you feel that they trust you? Do you trust your spouse? Okay, well then, how do you do that? How do you love? How do you do this? Like, how did Christy do that? I know she loves me because she hasn't left me. <laughs> and there have been many times where if, I were, if it were possible to split me in half, I would have left myself. But she stayed. And there you see the beauty, the wisdom of the covenant design that God put on marriage. If it weren't for that covenant design, who knows where I would be. Thanks be to God that he made marriage a reflection of his faithfulness to us. And lastly, <clears throat> so how do you do this? How, how can I help my spouse to know that I love? How can I love my spouse? The answer is very simple, guys. I hope you can write this down too. How can you love your spouse? Love your spouse the way Jesus loved you. He forgave you. Well, so you go forgive her. You forgive him. Jesus takes care of your needs. So you go take care of her needs. Jesus died for you. So now you go die for him. Jesus knows you. He knows you. So now take some time to get to know your wife. Sit there in front of her with no TV, no distractions, no smartphones, and just ask her how your day was. Tell me about what's on your heart. Jesus stays with you always. So you stay with your spouse always. It's quite simple. And when you do that, you will discover that your communication, your love, your connection will become more effective and, and, and your sanctification, which is a process that's really difficult and has enough challenges of its own, will become that much easier. All because Christ is in the center. Because you love your spouse the way Jesus loved you. It's so simple. So what do you do when God works on your flaws? You listen. Don't be like me circa 1999 <laughs> where, oh, I don't want to hear it. No, you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. And instead, when someone comes with criticism, with feedback, receive it. God uses other people to show you your flaws all the time. He does this all throughout scripture, all throughout history. Think about it. Moses, Nathan, Daniel, David. God does this all the time. 
Here's a dialogue that I tell myself, and I want to leave you with this. Whenever somebody comes to you with a criticism, okay? So we've talked about um, what is the purpose of marriage sanctification. We talked about how sanctification is based on the safety of the marriage and the relationship is a safe space where you can now just let go of all of your deepest, you know, ugly sides and let the blood of Christ wash it and make you uh, more Christ-like in that aspect. And you don't have to do that alone. You have your spouse. God has appointed a partner, a sanctification partner, to do sanctification with you. And you are to do it with them. But how about when you... Now, when I hear a criticism, when I hear feedback, this is what I tell myself. When I see in myself a fault, a weakness, a character flaw... I have to remember that God has, I I talk to myself, God has already placed his seal of ownership on me. Nothing that I do can make him love me less. By the same token, nothing that I do can make God God love me more than he already does. So, I don't need to hear negative feedback and then, automatically need, you know, knee-jerk reaction. No, 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 I'm great. That's not true. No, I can actually receive it and think about it because I'm grounded. I already have a foundation that God loves me. How do I know that? The cross. Christ died for me. I literally have to go through this train of thought. And then when I remember that, now I can come back to the table and I can hear more. Okay, tell me more. I'm ready. I'm braced. You know, I braced myself. And guess what? That's okay. I'm going to work on these areas by applying the Bible. It doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person just because I have some flaws. It means I'm human. It also means I'm a work in progress. And it also means I have an opportunity to experience the grace of God in my life, not just through Christ, but through my spouse. So at this time, let's spend a little time praying. If you're single, I want you to ask God, God, if I have a future spouse somewhere out there, would you prepare me to be that person's sanctification partner? where we can walk this journey together, walk this journey of Christ-likeness together. If you're married, you already have your sanctification partner. God has already given him or her to you. So spend this time thinking about How can I love my spouse better? How can I love my spouse like Christ loved me? I gave you some examples. Maybe those are one of them. The Lord loves you so much. He kind of, he, he sees you as a garden. 
And as he's walking through this garden and, in, and enjoying the beauty of you, as with any garden, there are weeds and pebbles. Sanctification is a process of taking those weeds out. And guess what? That's good. That actually means God cares. Think about it. If you walk through a garden and you see weeds, and it's your garden, what are you going to do? You're going to take the weeds out. Why? Because you care. But if you don't care about this garden, it's somebody else's garden. You walk through the garden and you see weeds. Are you going to start pulling their weeds? No, because you don't really care. What if you went through life, your whole life, not allowing God to pull any of your weeds? Basically, you're saying, God, I don't want your love. I don't want you to care about me. Look, when God shows you the weeds, that's his love. When God gives you a partner to pull those weeds together with, that's his love. Marriage is you and your husband, you and your wife, kneeling down together, getting your hands in that dirt and pulling out the weeds and then seeing the beautiful, fresh soil in which the word of God can be freshly planted and you get to do that together forever. And you can grow old and gray together. That's the gift of marriage. What are some of those weeds? Ask the Holy Spirit.